Family Travel Radio has partnered with our good friends at Airtrex to help you and your family see more of the world for less money and, just as importantly, less stress. To learn about how Airtrex makes complex, multi-stop trips easy and attainable for families, visit familytravel.org slash radio slash Airtrex. Welcome to Family Travel Radio, the official podcast of the Family Travel Association. Family Travel Radio is on the air, helping you discover the world of possibilities family travel has to offer. Hey there, it's Aaron Schlein here, and welcome back to Family Travel Radio. This is the second episode in a very special five-episode series called From Dream to Reality, Round the World Trips for Families. And in each of these five episodes, we're going to cover one component of an around-the-world trip. Those components, once again, are dream, plan, budget, book, and finally, go. And if you remember in yesterday's episode, I promised you that in this series, you're going to hear several stories from real people who actually took round-the-world trips with their families. Coming up in just a bit, you're going to hear the first of those stories. Today, you're going to hear my chat with Shelly Bailey Shaw about her family's trip. And believe me, it was a doozy. You're not going to want to miss my chat with Shelly. That's coming up in just a few minutes. But first, we're going to catch up with Sarah Habib from Airtrex to talk about step two in taking that round-the-world trip with your family, taking that trip from dream to reality. Today, it's all about the plan. Sarah, welcome back. Thank you. Nice to be here. All right. Today, yesterday, we talked all about the dream, and now we're going to start planning to make that dream come true. So now we're going to take that world of possibilities. We've been to the trip planner over at familytravel.org slash radio slash Of course, we've already done that. Now we're going to start whittling down to our top few favorite places. We're going to take it one step at a time, Sarah, and I'm going to lean on you to help us go through those steps. Yeah, well, so at airtrex.com slash families, we actually have a few really great tools to help you like a planning timeline, a way to budget for your trip, kind of the top tips for planning a family gap year. And maybe what you are doing is not a full year, the trip that you're thinking about taking, but you could take these these tips and apply them to your desired trip. And I think um, there's a few things to consider when you're whittling things down. One is how much time do you want to have to travel and how much do you want to be on the road? You know, when we talked yesterday, I was telling you guys that I just did a three week around the world trip and it was very intense from a travel perspective. So maybe there's a lot of places that you want to see, but if you're traveling with your five-year-old, maybe it's not a good idea to take seven, 10 hour flights in the three week time period. So you want to consider where do I really want to go? What is the the travel going to entail for me and my family and what's going to be best for us? And then also what kind of budget you have for it. Sometimes if your budget is higher, for example, maybe it's fine to include more destinations because you can pay for those business class tickets where you guys can all get a good night's sleep on the plane. So everybody's situation is different. And I think when it comes down to the planning process, I mean, I know we're going to talk about budget, but I think that it is a big part of the planning. And I always encourage people to to start with the things that are really the most important for them. And you're never going to be able to do everything in one trip. I mean, I think that's the the curse of the people who love traveling. There's always more. There's always more to see. You always want to stay longer. There's always more to explore, Sarah. Yes, exactly. So I would say pick the things that are the most important to you. And and the more involved you can get your children in the selection process, I think the more fun it can be. 
because they feel like they have ownership over the trip that you guys are taking as well. It's not, you know, you're not doing the planning for them. They're involved in the, in the process. I, I agree with you 100% and that giving them that ownership, I feel like is part of that transformational experience and it's setting them up for a lifetime of travel after they leave the nest because I don't want to raise a kid to travel and then without teaching them how to actually plan for their travel and going through an exercise like this, they are going to be very well set up for, for a great future. So Sarah, all right, this is the plan episode. We've got a, a great guest, Shelly Bailey Shaw from Kid Tripster, who actually did an around the world trip with her family. She's coming up in just a minute to go through step-by-step her actual plan for that around the world trip. Sarah, I want to thank you once again, and we will speak to you again tomorrow. We're going to be talking budget. Great. Thank you. This is part two of five in a series about round the world trips for real families. And today's episode is all about the plan, planning that round the world adventure. This series was made possible by our friends over at Airtrex, a company that specializes in multi-stop international travel, especially those trips with complex routes. Very grateful to the folks over at Airtrex for their expertise and for making those complex trips easy and more attainable for families. And you can learn all about how Airtrex can help you make your your family's dream of an around-the-world trip a reality. Just head over to familytravel.org slash radio slash airtrex. We got Shelly Bailey Shaw back on the show, and we are going to talk about your trip, Shelly. 72 days around the world. Why take a trip like that? Why take a trip like that with your family? Tell us that story. Well, you know, I'd always been an avid traveler, but in 2008, I was diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, that sort of diagnosis has a tendency to change your perspective and to change your priorities, and it did mine. And ultimately, what it does is is it makes you stop planning to do things and forces you just to do them. I mean, you know, like no, there's no time like the present. So our travel really kind of notched up after my recovery from cancer. We. My, took a trip to Australia, we took a trip to China, and then my family started planning this 72-day trip around the world. And then after we returned, I really wanted to find a way to share all I had learned. And so I'm a trained journalist, and at the time I was working in television as a reporter, but I started to freelance travel write, and that's how I was sort of communicating what I had learned on this trip to other families and trying to, you know, encourage and inspire them to go as well. And then, you know, one thing left to another, and then a number of years later, I left television and then I started KidTripster.com. And as you know, we now have a staff of uh, professional parent journalists and teens who write about travels with their kids with the sole purpose of giving parents sort of roadmaps um, for creating memorable experiences for their families. And so an around the world trip is sort of the ultimate in memorable experiences. Well, first things first, Shelley, you, you have a job. I have a job. Most parents have jobs. Actually, all parents have jobs 24 7, 365, 366 on leap year. But most folks with jobs outside the home can't just take 72 days off on a whim. You have to plan. In certain cases, you probably have to negotiate. So, what's your advice on negotiating that kind of time off? Yeah, you know, this is probably uh, the biggest deal, right? Because unless you can negotiate that time off, you're not going anywhere. So, I did have a full-time job at this time and 
it's a deal breaker if the boss says no, but you never know until you ask. And so I was able to negotiate a three-month sabbatical. I had been with this particular television station for quite some time. So I worked up the ranks and had some seniority. So that helped. And, you know, other employers have set sabbaticals. So, you know, maybe you're, you're planning a trip like this around a sabbatical that you know is coming up. Or, you know, a lot more people are working from home or they have the flexibility to work remotely and they may be able to negotiate, you know, working while on a trip like this. I know families that have dropped everything, sold everything, and then hit the road for a year, but the parent is still working because they're able to work remotely. So, you know, you just never know until you ask. And so I was able to get roughly three months off. My husband wasn't able to get that time off. So we actually split it. So I did the first half of our 72-day trip with just myself and my two sons. And then he joined halfway through and did the back end of the trip. And so that's the way we made it work for our family. So that was kind of a tale of two trips. What was the first half like, Those the first half of the 72 <laughs> days when you're flying solo or as a parent anyway? Well, actually, it is more of a tale of two trips than you might think because on the first half, I was being pretty frugal. You know, a trip like this isn't cheap. Um, and so I was really, really trying to save money. And we were staying at youth hostels. We were doing budget camping in Africa. We were staying with friends. And then my husband joined the tour on the second half. And he is a business traveler. So what does that mean? That means he he likes to stay in very nice hotels. Um, so the the accommodations kind of notched up for the second half where we were cashing in, um, you know, a lot of hotel points and things like that. And it was a little bit more comfortable than the first half. But, you know, if if you were to ask me, I actually enjoyed sort of the, the roughing it aspect of the beginning of the trip. Well, since we're talking planning, it sounds like you you took your husband's wishes into consideration. Was that something that was in the initial plan or is that something that you switched on the fly halfway through? How'd that work? No, I, th- I think we sort of knew that going in. Um, and so we structured the trip so that the destinations that he was most interested in would be on the back end of the trip. Um, and then, you know, the accommodations that were going to be more enticing would be on the back end trip of the trip as well. For example, um, our last stop on the 72 days was French Polynesia. And so we flew into Tahiti and then took a ferry to the island of Morea. And on Morea, we stayed at sort of a, a bucket list destination for us. It was one of those over the water bungalows that you see in, you know, fancy travel magazines. <laughs> so it was uh, one of those stays and it, it was, you know, glorious, but it was all done on hotel points. And so we made sure that he was able to take part in that particular stay. I'd love to play a game where we sit and we look at your itinerary and we try to guess the exact day where your husband joined the trip. (laughs) I think it would be pretty obvious. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm glad you got those overwater bungalows because budget or no budget, that's, that's pretty awesome experience. So you you spoke about some destinations, you know, round us out those, you're, you're filling out a 72 day itinerary in advance with your family, taking a lot of different wishes into account. How did you choose those destinations? You know, as a family, we actually sat down with a map of the world 
And when you sit down with a map of the world, you have an overwhelming number of choices, right? So my, my kids and I put together sort of a short list based on some criteria. Um, number one were those sort of bucket list destinations. Number two, where did our family have personal connections, like our, our family's personal history? Three, where did we have family and friends living abroad that we could mooch off of? <laughs> and uh, number four was where were those far away locations that using the around the world tickets made sense? Like those places that would be truly expensive to get to any other way. So those are four great criteria. If you can, can you offer up a, an example of, of each? We'll just start with uh, bucket list destinations. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we wanted to go on an African safari. So while many countries offer that experience, I had a friend from Tanzania whose family still lived there. So on our trip, we spent a few days bunking with her parents in Dar es Salaam before leaving on a safari. We also wanted to visit Southeast Asia. So Thailand and Cambodia were sort of on our, our bucket list. Next was, you know, my family ancestors are from the Netherlands. And while I have been to that country several times, I wanted my children to connect with their heritage. So in addition to visiting Amsterdam, we spent some time in Groningen, uh, which is in northern Netherlands. And, and that's where my family roots were. Uh, we actually took a, a, a biking tour through Groningen looking for the grave sites of our ancestors. That's a completely different story, but uh, was an interesting, uh, an interesting experience. We were fortunate at the time to have friends who were living in London and in Dubai. So staying with them saved us a tremendous amount of money because, you know, as you know, lodging expenses in those cities are notoriously expensive. And then Nepal and French Polynesia were on our list. Those were sort of those faraway destinations that would have required very costly flights if we were to travel there on a separate trip. So they became part of the itinerary as well. Well, and that's, and that's super cool to consider when you're booking one of these round the world trips that you can actually, you can save a lot of money by building in some of these faraway places that would be very expensive, very cost prohibitive to, to travel to on an individual trip, sort of in a silo. So just real quick, just to recap those four things, you had the, you had the bucket list item, like the Af African safari, for example, you had family and ancestors in the Netherlands, you had friends in London and Dubai, and then those faraway places, Nepal and French Polynesia, normally difficult to get to or expensive to get to. And one point before we move on, I, I was having a conversation just a couple weeks ago with a couple who travel around the world, they're digital nomads. They work remotely and they move around the world constantly. And one thing that they said that stuck with me when I asked them, how do they travel so inexpensively? They said, if you sit and really think about it, you know, people that live in cool places, you just don't really think about them. Or even if there's a, you know, a one degree of separation, you know, you have a neighbor who has a brother who lives so-and-so. If you hit up some of these people, you'd be surprised what kind of hospitality you're shown. People love visitors. I know I do. So just really thinking about that for folks out there, you know, somebody who lives somewhere cool, or you know, somebody who knows somebody who lives somewhere cool. Take advantage of that. Absolutely. And you know, my friend who is from Tanzania, her parents and her sister's family still lived in Tanzania, and I had never met them, but that didn't matter. They were more than welcoming. Um, they, you know, they welcomed us into their house. They showed us around. They were so incredibly generous, and 
you know, we're all still Facebook friends now. So um, it was a great way to connect with her family. And it, it just, when you're on a trip like this, staying at someone's home and being able to have, have home cooked meals and things like that, um, they're really welcome respites because moving from hostel to hostel or hotel to hotel and eating out all the time, that can get tiring. So we really enjoyed the, the home stays that we had. Yeah. 72 days of, of hotel and restaurant food, even for the most extreme foodies, that seems, that seems a little excessive. So excellent points there. So now you've got your plan, 72 days, you've got your destinations mapped out. It's time to get into it and start reserving flights. And now Shelly, we spoke earlier, or I spoke earlier about Airtrex, wonderful company that really is a leader in booking multi-stop international travel, especially trips like yours with those complex routes. But Shelly, you did not book your 72-day around-the-world trip with Airtrex because at the time you say that you didn't know that Airtrex existed and you write about this over at kidtripster.com. It would have made your life a lot easier had you booked that 72-day adventure with Airtrex, but you used that brute force method. Tell us about that. How much brute force did it take? Oh my gosh. I wish I would have known about Airtrex at the time because that would have made my life so much easier. However, we did have sort of a special circumstance when it came to the flights. We actually purchased the mass majority of our flights with United Airlines via frequent flyer miles. And the way we did this is that we took advantage of a product called the Around the World Fair with Star Alliance. And Star Alliance is made up of United plus its international partners. You can purchase an Around the World ticket for 180,000 miles, at least it was at the time. I think I mentioned my husband is a business traveler. So he actually had enough miles for us to purchase four tickets. Do the math. That's a lot of miles. That dude travels. That is a lot of miles. And so, you know, that was a huge cost savings for us to be able to to purchase these tickets in that way. Though it was challenging because if you're going to use an around the world ticket, it comes with a lot of uh, different rules. So there's a maximum number of stops. There's a maximum number of legs, which is um, like connecting flights. The travel must um, all be completed in the same global direction. So you have to fly east to west or west to east. And then you're, you're booking your flights out usually about 11 months from uh, your end date. And so, funny story, I ended up making so many changes on these flights because if you would just change one thing early in the itinerary, it ended up having sort of this domino effect on all the other flights. So at one point, I called the 1K desk that was this helping us um, book this, and the operator almost had a heart attack. She goes, you have 100 changes on these four tickets, like 25 changes on each ticket. She goes, I have never seen so many changes on a reservation before. But again, it just points to what a great tool Airtrex would have been because I would have been able to do it a lot more easily. But we did. We did the brute force method and got it done. We did pay for some regional flights in Africa and Southeast Asia. And there we took advantage um, of Bangkok Airways Discovery Air Pass. So that's a way to get discount fares when you're traveling in Thailand and Cambodia. And so we, we did use some, the, some cost-saving measures there as well. So for those 
very brave parents who would wish to do a trip like this with smaller kids. Tell me about the, the, the flights. Are there any differences in the, in the way it works? Any difference in the prices for, for younger kids? You know, at the time, the around the world ticket uh, was a it was discounted, so it was seventy five percent of the cost for the kids. But those tickets that that around the world fare has a tendency to change its rules a lot. So I'm not sure that's still in effect. I would hope it would be, but it may not be. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. I will not hold you to it. I promise. <laughs> so, so full disclosure here, and Shelly, you mentioned this, you haven't yet booked an around the world trip with Airtrex, but you do have a relationship with that company. You know, the, the great folks over there and you have a good understanding of what it is they do. So tell me in your, in your view, like what would have been their, their added value had you gone with Airtrex to book this trip? It would just have made life so much simpler and streamlined. And I also, I've had this experience myself. Um, I just booked a, a ticket via Airtrex to Ireland with a stopover in Iceland. And my ticket on Airtrex on Iceland, on Iceland Air was actually cheaper than buying it directly through the airlines, which was really surprising to me. So, I, I don't know what sort of magic they have going on <laughs> over there, but um, I really do think that you're going to be able to plan a trip like this more affordably on air treks than you would independently. And again, when you're, when you're planning a trip of this scope, every dollar saved is important. Every dollar and every hour saved. Yes. Time yeah. is money, Shelly. Let's talk cost, Shelly. A lot of people out there may be listening to this and myself included to, to a certain degree. They hear this says, yeah, sounds great. But all I'm hearing, Shelly, is dollar signs. How do we control those costs out there and make these trips happen affordably? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. A trip like this can be expensive. We saved for several years. You know, we made this a priority for our family. So that meant skipping other vacations. That also meant getting the kids involved in the finance. Now, my kids were 10 and 13 when we ended up taking the trip. But they contributed their birthday money. They sold stuff at their garage, at garage sales. I remember we sold the jungle gym in the backyard. I mean, I wanted them to be invested in the trip um, because it's, you know, there's a life lesson there, right? Things cost money. So let's collectively work together as a family to find a way to make this happen. And, and that's what we did. Other ways to control costs. We talked about the airline programs, talked about using air tracks, lodging, you know, mooch off those friends, mooch off of friends of friends. Don't be afraid of a hostel stay. We had a hostel stay in um, Amsterdam. That was a really great hostel stay. Um, stayed at a hostel on the uh, border of Vondel Park. It was centrally located. Yes, I was the oldest person in the hostel, um, <laughs> which was kind of weird. But you know, it was it was it was fine, and we saved a tremendous amount of money staying in a. European capital because it can be expensive staying in European capitals. We booked a budget camping safari in Africa instead of staying in the deluxe hotels that you see in all the glossy travel magazines. We camped when we were in Groningen. You know, yes, we splurged at the end of the trip and accommodations got better when dad joined the, uh, the party. But, um, you know, there are ways to, to save money without sacrificing the experience. Yeah, just a cool example of this that you have over at Kid Tripster, You're talking about your hotel in Cambodia, the Golden Temple Hotel. You cited that as being one of the best properties you stayed at on your whole trip. Oh my gosh. 
the Golden Temple Hotel. We would go back to Cambodia in a second just to stay at this hotel again. This hotel, boutique hotel, beautiful property, pool, you know, the whole nine yards. Just the staff here was so accommodating. We stayed here for five nights. And so we really actually got to know the staff, got to know their personal stories. And it was a situation where you would come down, breakfast was included. They did, uh, they would set up any sort of tuk-tuk drivers or tours that you wanted, no added costs. There wasn't any sort of upcharge on that. Uh, In the morning, they would have, you know, water bottle carriers and waters ready for you to send you out. When you came back, they were right there wanting to genuinely know about the time you had with, you know, cool towels and a drink because it was pretty warm um, in Cambodia. I think we had a uh, a breakfast included uh, that was sunrise over Angar Wat. I think there was a dinner included and uh, massage for everyone was included. And we paid $70 a night. That is remarkable. I it love that. It was remarkable. It was oh my remarkable. Goodness. That is, that is, that is something else. So again, there's a lot of cool experiences, places you can stay around the globe. And if you have, if you come at it with that, through that Western lens where you'd imagine a place like Shelly just described is costing hundreds and hundreds of dollars a night and then finding out you can get that whole package, that whole experience for just 70 bucks a night for your family. That's, those are the types of things that are out there. Explore them. There's plenty more places like the Golden Temple Hotel around the world and definitely check them out. They're out there. So Shelly, let's get a little more practical. We've talked about costs, very practical side of this. And there's one item that some folks might breeze over. And quite frankly, I might be one of these people. So thank you for pointing out the the fact that we need to check into our vaccination situation when we're tra- taking a trip like this. Yeah, you definitely do. And in talking about costs, this is one place where you're going to end up spending money that you didn't anticipate. Um Because at least in our circumstance, you can't just go to your pediatrician and get these vaccinations. You end up having to go to a travel clinic. You give them your itinerary and then they tell you what they need. It isn't inexpensive. I mean, I think that by the time my family of four left the travel clinic, we had spent over $1,000 on vaccinations. So that's definitely something that you need to not only do, but also include in your budget. Excellent advice. And let's, let's talk a little bit about that, that actual traveling. Now you talked about the planning and the the tactics behind it, but let's, let's get into the why a little bit. Why, again, why you took a trip like this, are there any transformational or particularly just powerful stories from the road where you just said, this is why we're doing this? Yeah. You know, sometimes the lessons learned are maybe in the worst circumstances, right? So uh, when you're on the road for 72 days, something's going to go wrong. I mean, it just, it is. (laughs) And so how your family rolls with the punches is going to determine what you take away from that experience. And and we had a situation like that in Nepal. So our, we went to Nepal and this was a very important stop for my older son. He really wanted to see the Himalayan range. And so we had planned a five-day trek with an outfitter company and so we were going to we were going to trek these 5 days and we're going to make our way up through the foothills and actually be able to to see the Himalayas. We weren't going to base camp or anything like that, but we were going to be able to see the Himalayas. The night before we were set to go on this trek, my younger son um, got very ill 
And, you know, we were super careful about what we ate, but, you know, he got ill. And uh, parents listening will appreciate this, that, you know, for the next six to seven hours, I think my son threw up 20, 21 times. It was, it was scary. And we were staying on the third floor of a hostel and it only had um, Wi-Fi connection on the first floor. And so I kept running up and down the stairs because I was trying to connect with my husband in the United States, who of course is on a completely different time zone, to connect with our pediatrician. Because at some point I'm like, I, I can't get him to stop vomiting. Like, what do I do? It's not like you can walk out to the nearby 7-Eleven and pick up some Pedialyte or some Gatorade. I mean, it just doesn't happen. Um, as a sidelight, I never travel without, or a side point, I never travel without powdered Gatorade anywhere anymore. So pack your powdered Gatorade. That is a pro tip. I love that. Never heard that one before. Yeah, pack powdered Gatorade. So eventually he falls asleep and, and he's, he stops vomiting. And the next morning, I mean, he is wiped out, right? He is dehydrated. I'm pumping as much water into him as I possibly can. We even delayed our leaving on the track by a couple of hours just to give him a little bit more time. But ultimately, we had to leave. And so uh, we begin the trek. And the first day of the five-day trek, we were told that it was, today was our easy day. It was going to be easy, easy hike today. Well, it's important to realize that easy hike in uh, Himalayan terms is a much different concept than an easy hike in American terms. It's all relative. (laughs) Oh, boy. And so this was, uh, you know, five to six hours completely uphill. It was a very difficult hike. And my 10-year-old, he was just wiped out. I mean, I remember sitting at lunch with him and he was in tears. He was crying saying, I, you know, I, I can't do this. I don't feel well. Um, and I was, you know, again, just pumping him full of water, trying to m- make it doable. So we get to, to the last hour of the hike. And because we had left late, it started to rain because there are monsoon rains every afternoon in Nepal. And normally we would already have been to our destination, but because we were delayed, we are now hiking uphill in a monsoon. And at that point, I gave my pack to the Sherpa and I put my 10-year-old up on my back. And I kid you not, I carried my 10-year-old uphill in a monsoon for the last hour. And so- Is there a photograph of that somewhere? Please tell me there is. There is a photograph of that. And oh my gosh, I'll never forget it. And so we get to the tea house where we're staying the night. And I just- I just remember thinking, you know what? We're not going to be able to do this. He's not feeling well. And even if he had been feeling well, I don't think he really had the capability of, of doing this particular hike. Um, it was just, it was too much. It was going to be too much. And I should say that during this time, my older son, who is part Sherpa, I'm pretty sure, um, <laughs> he's like a mile ahead. I mean, he is having the time of his life. He is a hiker and he's keeping up with the Sherpas. They're actually joking with him that he's part Nepalese. I mean, he is in his element. He is having the time of his life. So we get to the tea house and I say to my older son, I think we're going to have to abandon this. I think we're going to have to go back. And he is devastated. 
Like this is the one thing on this around the world trip that he was really looking forward to. And I said to him, you know what? The lesson here is this, that we are a family and sometimes in life you have to make personal sacrifices for the betterment and the bettering of your family. And this is one, this is one of those times where you're going to have to put your own goals aside because it's the right thing to do for your family. And so that has been a life lesson. I mean, there have been times in the years after where we have sort of looked back on that and I've, I've pulled from that experience and said, this is, this is one of those times, just like that time in Nepal, where you're going to have to set yourself aside and your wants and your desires and your goals because it's not right for your family. And so I just remember that being kind of one of those transformational moments, right, where, where you're teaching your kid something that I wouldn't have been able to teach him any other way. Well, and for us out here, just enjoying your story, some of life's most powerful lessons are best taught through a story. And that story was really, really wonderful. And the message, of course, the takeaway that we all need to be, make sacrifices for the greater good of our family, for the greater good of our communities, et cetera. That's just a wonderful lesson. And I really appreciate you taking that story. Your son's okay now. Thank goodness. And yes. And he won't be- go back to Nepal, though. I have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, who are you going to carry on your back the next time you go? Yeah, maybe a grandchild. Someday. There you go. <laughs> well, huge pat on the back—no pun intended—for the for carrying him. That's that's some that's pretty special stuff. Shelly, we could go on forever and ever about this topic. I love it, but I'm gonna gonna kind of cut us off here, and hopefully, we'll reconvene another time. We've been chatting with Shelly Bailey Shaw from KidTripster.com about her family's round the world adventure, and you can read all about that adventure over at Kid tripster.com. I'll link that up in the show notes at familytravel.org slash radio. Also encourage you to follow Kid Tripster on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube, all at Kid Tripster across the board at Kid Tripster all across social. Simple. And as always, that'll be linked up in the show notes as well. Familytravel.org slash radio. Shelly Bailey Shaw, you rock. Thanks so much for sharing your story here on Family Travel Radio. No, thank you, Aaron. Well, there you have it. Part two of our five-part series on round-the-world trips for families is in the book, my friend. Remember to check out familytravel.org slash radio slash airtreks. That's familytravel.org slash radio slash A-I-R-T-R-E-K-S, familytravel.org slash airtreks, and take that first step toward making that dream of an around-the-world trip for your family a reality. Part three is coming at you tomorrow. In part one, we dreamed. In part two, we planned. And tomorrow, in part three, we're talking budget. So we'll see you right back here bright and early tomorrow. And until then, this is Aaron Schlein for Family Travel Radio, and I am signing off. Family Travel Radio.